1: Faith Talk Tampa online at letstalkfaith.com. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. The
0: following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded.
1: So the gospel message is the only message that will lead lost souls to Christ in heaven. Therefore, it would be the, the height of, of, of a spiritual crime. It would be a spiritual atrocity of the highest form with tragic consequences to distort this message in order to avoid conflicts. Nobody likes conflicts. If likes conflicts, they're odd, peculiar. Nobody likes them. But we don't avoid them by backing down from the truth. That's how you endure. Now, how does this apply to you? How does it apply to those who are not in public as as preachers
2: and endurance in the face of obstacles and hardship is one of the ways we avoid hindering the gospel hindrances to the gospel is our subject again today on verse by verse as pastor steve kreloff teaches from 2 corinthians chapter six pastor steve is the teaching pastor at lakeside community chapel in clearwater florida in the first ten verses of this chapter paul gave an extensive list of the hardships he had endured in bringing the gospel to the unsaved. In verse 6, he said that he lived in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in genuine love. Then in verse 7, he described more of his life. But let's review a little of what Pastor Steve discussed from verse 6 in our last broadcast before we continue.
1: Now, before we leave this verse, I think it's terribly important to understand that this is the world we live in. This is relevant for us. This is not something just a uh, first century history. This is where we're living because so much damage has been done in recent years in disgracing the gospel because ministers have not always been sexually pure or financially pure. So much has gone on in our In our world, in recent times, there are men who have damaged Christ's reputation by dishonoring the Lord through sexual lust and extramarital affairs and financial greediness. And I understand by the grace of God, we all we all stand. But this stuff is just wrong. And this is the stuff that the world laughs at Christianity because of this is the stuff that that the media gets hold of and just amplifies. And it's inexcusable. There are ministers who have been ignorant instead of being knowledgeable. They don't study the word like they should. They really don't understand God's word. Maybe they understand the culture, but they don't, they don't understand the word or they've altered the message because it, it might come across too offensive or too hard or too, too dogmatic or authoritative. There are some ministers who have been overbearing instead of being patient. When somebody, uh, verbally criticizes them, they strike back. That's just wrong. There are some ministers who have been rude instead of being kind and and sort of um, just excusing it with a verse. Touch not the Lord's anointed. So you can't ever say anything about me and I have every license to be rude to you. There have been some ministers who have been unspiritual instead of being under the Holy Spirit's control. There have been some minister ministers who have been hypocritical in their love instead of being genuine in their concern for the sheep. Just sort of a militant attitude, even towards God's people, a, a harshness. That's just not right. And they, what they've done is they've discredited the ministry and the name of Christ. Now, you may not be a pastor; we're certainly not apostles here. But your behavior as a Christian will either enhance or hurt, damage the reputation of Jesus Christ. That's that's reality. It really depends on the depth of your commitment to Christ. So don't don't read this and say, "Well, that was Paul. That was two thousand years ago. Doesn't really matter." people are observing you. If they're not consciously observing you, they're observing you anyway. They're observing you. So Paul's behavior, and I might add under stressful conditions, under fatigue, under sleeplessness, under hunger still serves as a model for us. We never want to use the excuse. I'm sorry. I was rude and nasty. I just didn't sleep well the night before. I've been under a lot of pressure. Listen, nobody was under Paul's pressure. Nobody here has been under Paul's pressure like he was. Nobody, Nobody's lost sleep consistently like Paul did. Nobody's had his life threatened here like like Paul did, and yet he never used that as an excuse and say, you know, I'm just functioning on three hours of sleep and I haven't had much nutrition. lately." No, none of that can ever serve to justify ungodliness. Now, this morning, we want to continue looking at Paul's list of what he endured in his service for Christ, but interestingly enough, as we come to verse 7, there's something different. In verse 7, Paul lists three things that are not trials. They're not even behavior patterns. And you might look at it and say, well, what is he What is he doing? In verse 7, Paul tells us not uh, that, that he endured so much, but he tells us how he endured. He takes it a step beyond what Winston Churchill said. He doesn't just tell us, uh, don't give in. He says, here's how you don't give in. Here are the resources that God has provided. Here are the means by which you can handle conflicts. Here's how I endured. Let's look at verse seven. He writes, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. These are three resources that God has provided so that you and I will not falter in ministry, so that you and I will will not um, give in. This is what he's provided. And you've got to take it. You've got to take these provisions and as you do, you'll demonstrate, just as Paul did, that, that you're a true servant of Christ by persevering regardless of the obstacles. Now we'll look at two of these, these spiritual resources this week. I was going to do three, but I got so caught up in this. I have finally found a passage of scripture that I'm going slower than John MacArthur on. It is remarkable. I never thought it would be in that day. You know, it took him, I think, eight years to cover the Gospel of Matthew. So, uh, but this is just, honestly arrested my attention. And uh, so I, I just have to go with that. Let's look at verse seven again. He says in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Now with this statement, Paul announces how he conducts his ministry. These are the means by which he endured and the key to endurance for us. He says, number one, in the word of truth. Paul states that he endured in the word of truth. That's what he means. He endured in the sphere of the word of truth. This is what enabled him to endure all the trials and sufferings. It was the word of truth. Now the question is, what does he mean by the word of truth? The NIV translation, if you have it, and I think it's a good translation, the NIV generally, but it's, it's somewhat misleading here. And many of you have this, so I want to mention it. The NIV translates this phrase truthful speech, and it gives the impression that what Paul is saying is that his resources were his own honesty, uh, his own sincerity. But that misses the point. That's not what he's talking about. It is true that in chapter one, he spoke about his honesty Remember, we went through that where Paul said, listen, when my, when I say yes, I mean yes. My nay, my nay is nay, my yea is yea. I keep my word. I keep my promise. I said I was going to visit you. I will visit you, but things have prevented me thus far. And that was chapter one, but we're a long way from chapter one. The context here is about his ministry. He talked in chapter 5 about being an ambassador for Christ. He talked in chapter 5 about the ministry of reconciliation. He talked in chapters 3 and 4 about the new covenant ministry that God had given him, the gospel. That's what he's talking about here, not his integrity. The expression, the word of truth, simply means the gospel, the gospel that he preached, the gospel message about salvation in Christ. We know this not only from its context, but... This is not a guess. This is not a stab in the dark because this was a well-known uh, reference to the gospel to the early church. They understood it. It was a reference to preaching the gospel. Let me show you this. Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul himself told us and interpreted what he meant by this. He writes in Ephesians 1, 13, in Him. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, now notice the expression "The message of truth," that is the same uh, exact expression that he uses in second Corinthians. here it 's translated the message of truth in second corinthians it's the word of truth it 's the same same word it's lagos it's the same same Greek word. He also said in Colossians one uh, five He said the same thing. He said, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So Paul's told us what the word of truth is. It's the gospel. It's not his honesty. It is the gospel. I might add, he also said it in 2 Timothy 2.15 about cutting straight the word. He says it's the word of truth, the gospel. And uh, James, I believe it's chapter one, says the same thing. So there's no question that what Paul means here is that He endured in the truth of the gospel, telling people about salvation. And this is a great way to describe God's word because the foundation of the Bible's message, listen to this, is that it is truth. It is truth in all of its parts, in its entirety, as well as in its individual words. It is truth because God is the God of truth and not error at all. God will never mislead, mislead you, never deceive you. There are no errors in his word. Cannot be if it is inspired. It's ludicrous to think that it is. Titus 1.2 speaks of God as the God who cannot lie. Think about that. God cannot lie. Are there some things God can't do? Yes, he cannot lie. He is incapable in His in his intrinsic nature of lying. God is truth and always speaks truth. John 14 Jesus said the fair, very famous statement he said I am the way the what the truth and the life In John 14:17 Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth So there you have the the trinity the the triune God God the Father cannot lie Jesus the Son is the truth and and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and since God by his very nature is truth then whatever he says is True. That's why Jesus said in John 17, 17, he said, Father, sanctify them in or by your truth. Your word is truth. That, that settles the issue, settles the question. God's word is truth. So Paul states that he endured all of his problems in serving Christ by proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Now, the question is, how did God's word, the truth of God's word specifically enable him to endure his trials And how can it strengthen us as we face these trials? I think it's important to keep in mind who we're dealing with. We're dealing with the Apostle Paul. You and I, 2,000 years later, love Paul. We name cities after Paul. We name hospitals after Paul. We name other things after Paul. In his day, Paul was not loved by the world. There was no St. Paul, Greece. There was none of that. St. Paul, Italy. There was none of that. The Apostle Paul was a man hated by most people. The unsaved Jewish community hated him because he proclaimed the grace of God and not the law of Moses. They wanted him to say that you have to keep the law to be saved. He wouldn't do it because that's not the gospel. The unsaved Gentile community hated him because he preached about the one true God and not pagan idolatry, which is what they were raised in. And I might add that there were Christians who weren't always pleased with Paul either. If you and I had met the Apostle Paul and he spoke to us the way that he spoke to some of the Christians, you might not be too pleased with Paul. And let me just tell you, in Galatians 4.16, there is a wonderful statement. You know, the Galatians, Paul rebuked the the Galatians, that letter to the Galatians is unique. Every other letter that Paul wrote, he has a very nice introduction, even if he has to rebuke the people. He says greetings and I've, I've been praying for you and, and the brethren send their greetings and I thank God for you. Galatians, he just hits the ground running and he's basically telling the Galatians, what are you doing? I preach the gospel to you and now you're running after law. Who who has deceived you? If anybody comes and preaches another message other than the one you heard from me, let him be accursed. I don't even care if he says he's an angel. He is accursed. I mean, it's a harsh, hard Letter in Galatians four sixteen he says this after after dealing with them about law and grace he says so I have become your enemy by telling you the truth what a what a I'm your enemy now because I I dared to tell you the truth that's how Paul was was received by many and the Corinthians they weren't too pleased with Paul either you go back to his first letter and every chapter is a rebuke and a correction. In fact, he tells us in this letter, when I wrote that letter to you, I wrote it with tears. I don't want to hurt you, but I, I had to confront you. And in chapter 13, look, look at this. We haven't gotten there yet, but chapter 13 of this letter, Paul is going to be severe when he when he comes to them if they don't repent. Remember, they criticized Paul. They said, oh, he's not that tough. His letters are are weighty, but he's he's rather unimpressive. He's not much to look at. And when you hear him in person, he's not uh, anything like his letters sound. But notice what he wrote to them in chapter 13, verse one. He says, this is the third time I'm, I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I'll not spare anyone. Verse 3, since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. Verse 10, for this reason I'm writing these things while absent, so that when present I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. What he's saying is you think I'm weak? You think I don't have authority? I'll show you what authority is when I get there. And I want you to repent so I don't have to use my apostolic authority. I mean the Corinthians had, I'm sure, mixed feelings towards Paul. In fact, you go back to chapter six in, in verse 11, he'll say, our mouth is spoken freely to you, O Corinthians, our heart is open to you. You're not restrained by us, but you're restrained in your own affections. And then in verse 13, he says, open your heart to us. Listen, this was a man who was not the most popular of men. This is a man hated by the unsaved, and a man who did not always please believers as he had to deal with them. And why? Because he told them the truth, which they didn't always want to hear. But regardless of how severe Paul had to be with believers or how despised he was by unbelievers, what he's telling us in this verse, in chapter 6, verse 7, is that he never wavered from proclaiming God's word. Never. He endured in the truth. And why didn't he waver from it? Simply because. It was and is truth. Tremendous truth to understand. People need is the truth. The truth from God. Truth is what people need to hear, whether they like it or not. This is, this is why we're opposed to these seeker sensitive churches. Because a seeker sensitive church gives people what they want to hear. They tickle their ears, hoping to lure them in so then they can give them more truth. But by that time, they're not interested in the truth. What we want to do is not tell people their felt needs. We tell them their real needs. People don't know what their real needs are. You and I didn't know before coming to Christ what our real needs were. God showed us, but he showed us in accordance with his word, the truth. You see, the one thing that makes us bold to endure all kinds of hostilities and not waver, though we're tempted to. And we're all tempted to because nobody likes uncomfortable situations and the awkwardness of telling people what they don't want to hear. But the one thing that that emboldens us to, to do this in the service of Christ is this. We have the truth. We're not making this stuff up. It's not our opinions. Paul didn't change his message or make it more appealing, regardless of the awkwardness of the situations he found himself in. And the reason he didn't do this is because he knew what people needed to hear, and that was the truth. The truth. That is so important. It's not politically correct today to, sell, to say the truth. You might be labeled as intolerant. You might be labeled as archaic. You might be labeled as prejudice and bias, but That is not the issue at all. The issue is, is it true? Is it based on God's word? And for us to distort or tamper with this message is to mislead eternal souls and damn them to hell. God forbid we should ever be light on sin. God forbid we should tell people they don't need to repent. God forbid we should, we should tell them that they don't need to commit themselves to Christ, that salvation means just saying a prayer and you're in. And it has nothing to do with uh, with commitment to Him. If we do that. We are distorting the gospel. Distorting. Let, let's go back to chapter two again, and let me refresh you of what Paul is really saying here. Chapter two, beginning at verse fourteen. Remember, Paul said, "But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. That is, every place we go as we proclaim the gospel." There's an aroma of God that comes from us. It's it's the gospel. But you know what? It's a it's a sweet aroma. It should be, but it's not received that way by everybody. What some people smell is a sweet aroma. Others people think it stinks. And he tells us that in verse 15, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death, to an unbeliever who's not interested in, in hearing about Christ, we stink. The message is horrible. It's, it's, it's horrible, but it's death to death. There's a stench to it because we tell people that if they don't repent and trust Christ, they're going to go to hell. And they don't want to hear that. To the other, an aroma from life to life. Those who are interested in the gospel and what we have to say to them is the, the sweetest message and sweetest smelling aroma they've ever, ever had. And Paul says, do you realize that we have a message that tells people about eternal death and eternal life? That the simple message of the gospel that, that we bring determines whether people go to heaven or hell. And that's why he ends verse 16 by saying, who's adequate for these things? Who can handle this? In chapter three, he'll say, only God can make us adequate. Only God can give grace. But notice how he how he brings us to a head in verse 17. For we are not like many, peddling the Word of God. We're not like the false teachers who tickle people's ears and tell them what they want to hear. We're not selling anything. We're not making it more attractive by distorting it. We don't back off and lower and compromise the standards of Scripture. We don't peddle the Word of God. We're not selling anything but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. We speak the truth as it's been given to us, as if Christ himself was watching us. Why? Because Christ himself is watching us. That's why. So the gospel message is the only message that will lead lost souls to Christ in heaven. Therefore, it would be the the height of, of, of a spiritual crime. It would be a spiritual atrocity of the highest form with tragic, consequences to distort this message in order to avoid conflicts. Nobody likes conflicts. If anybody likes conflicts, they're odd, peculiar. Nobody likes them. But we don't avoid them by backing down from the truth. That's how you endure. Now, how does this apply to you? How does it apply to those who are not in public as as preachers? Well, it means that you don't have to wonder what to tell people when you minister to them. It's not your opinion. It's not a guessing game. You tell people the truth of God's word. If it's an unbeliever, then you tell them the plan of salvation. If it's a believer, then you tell them a believer who needs to repent, then you confront them about their sin. Now, of course, you speak the truth in love, the Bible says. When we talk about boldness, we don't mean being callous and harsh. But what we need to realize is that what helps you and I to endure all of life's trials and conflicts with people is to know that you're not out there alone trying to figure this stuff out. You are people who have boundaries set for you. There are limitations. This is the truth. Give it to people. You've been given a Bible to tell others the truth. And if people don't like it, you know what? Then they just don't like it. But it's still the truth, whether they like it or not. It's kind of like holding a gun to somebody and they say, well, I don't believe that. Whether they believe it or not is inconsequential. If it's loaded and you pull the trigger, it still has an impact on them. So it doesn't really matter if people say, well, I don't believe that. It still is the truth. You didn't make this stuff up anyway. It's God's truth. So if you want God's enabling grace in stressful situations, it's very simple. Be committed to the truth. Telling the truth. That's what God has provided to help you to serve him so that you're not trying to figure it all out. What do I do and how do I handle this? It's all there for us. Now, that's the first resource provided by God that enables us to endure under pressure. It is the word of truth. And I hope you're committed to that. That's what Paul was. Paul said, I didn't come giving my opinion. I, I didn't come to, to them as a philosopher. I didn't come trying to impress them. I came with the truth. That's what helps me to endure.
2: In John eight thirty one and 32, Jesus said, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If the truth will make us free and free our friends, isn't it worth it? Doesn't that help us to endure hardship? Thanks for listening. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We've been studying 2 Corinthians chapter 6 for the past several days and will continue in that text for several more broadcasts. Find out more about Lakeside by calling 727-441-1714 or visit Lakeside's website, lakesidechapel.com. If you'd like to catch up on anything in this series that you might have missed, visit our website, firstbyverseradio.org and go to the Message Archive page. We're listener supported and we are grateful for the generous listeners who help finance and pray for this ministry. If you'd like to get involved, visit the giving page on our website, or call Lakeside at the number I just told you about, 727-441-1714. This is Jerry Peterson. I'll admit that as a missionary in Latin America, I was sometimes frustrated and discouraged when I would observe so little response from my efforts and those of the others on our team. And then a listener to our radio station would tell me how precious it was for them to be able to get such good Bible teaching on their radio. The expressions were sometimes accompanied by a delicious fruit or pastry. That really helped. But we knew another couple in another country who served for over 20 years in their village and never had one person come to Christ.